بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله Dear brothers and sisters, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to another Elmfeed podcast episode. I'm your host Fatima Barakatullah and today I have with me Layinka Sani. Layinka is a certified neurolinguistic programming NLP therapist. She empowers Muslim mothers through her organization Evolve and Emerge through their transformational journey to being who, how, and where they want to be for themselves and their children. She's originally from Nigeria and is based in London with her husband and three children. And it says here she sips on more Earl Grey than she cares to admit. Okay. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum, Blinka. Wa alaikum salam. Got to put Earl in the intro. <laughs> really? Is that important to you? Yeah, Earl Grey is... MashaAllah. I like my tea as well. Do you like loose tea? <sighs> Too much faffing about. Oh. <laughs> Just get a cup, put the bag in, put the hot water, none of this. Oh, my in-laws, they, they introduced me to loose tea and uh, they showed me a way of doing it so that you can just just drop it in there and pour the water and oh, it Oh, do you have stays. it in one of those sieve thingy bobs? Do no, you know I don't need to. Yeah. You actually just they, put they the They showed me how to do it loose, loose, loose. in such a way that, yeah, they're, they're from India, so they loved Is it quite making ceremonial? their own tea. Yeah. Mm, okay. Their own mixture. But yeah, that's good. Inshallah, we'll, we'll share <laughs> a little grey tea later. Inshallah. Um, so tell me, Lainka, Lainka, I've seen you a number of times uh, giving talks. Yeah. And there's just something about you. Like, I've always been really struck by the things that you've been saying in those talks. So I think the last time um, I saw you were speaking at uh, Muslim Our Writers Summit, right? Yeah. Yes, and yes, one yes. of the things you said really stuck with me because uh, I was working on a book and I am working on a book. And uh, one of the things about, you know, when you're a writer is sometimes the things you're writing about are things that people have already written about, mm. right? And so this voice comes, right, and says to you in your head, why would anyone want to know what you think about this? You right. know, what makes you think you're the right person to write about this? There are hundreds of people who are much better qualified or who are better writers than you. And one of the powerful things you said uh, was, yeah, but nobody can tell it the way you do. Mm. And that really stayed with me because, yeah. you know, that's absolutely true. People are not reading your book to hear what so-and-so expert has to say about it. They want to know your take. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And that, and I think, I, I remember the example I gave were, was um, how many how many copies of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah do you find out mm -hmm. in li on library shelves, bookshelves, and there are still new ones coming out, you know, and you'd think publishers would, publishers would be like, but we've heard this story a gazillion times. Yeah, let's just reprint an <laughs> like, older why, version. Why do we need your version? But there's always, an author always brings their own nuance, a freshness, a, a uniqueness about it. And it's just like every single one of us have our own unique blueprint, right? And so what we bring in the writing world would be unique as well, even if we're telling the same story. So do you think everyone has a story to tell? For sure. Um, everyone has a story to tell. And that they should tell it. 
Whether they should or they shouldn't is entirely, I'm kind of like, I, I don't think there's any compulsion mm. for someone to, but it's like, if you have been gifted with the ability to share a story, um, whatever it may be, that's something Allah has uniquely gifted to you. You know, just like some people can draw, some people can't. Some people can paint, some people can't. Some of these skills can be learned over time, but some people actually have the innate gift that is effortless to them, right? Natural. And if you've been gifting, yeah, yeah if you're kind of natural. Mm. And if you've been gifted with the ability to tell a story, why? Own it. Yeah, why, own your story. Why not own it? Own your yeah. voice, own your story, own that, you know, your right to. And I think sometimes that's the thing. Some people yeah. feel like they they need permission, permission. from someone. Yeah. Mm. Well, say. we're giving you permission today <laughs> yes. to tell your story and to own your story. <laughs> own because, your story. Uh, I think we were it's mentioning just when we met today is that one of the things we mentioned was that if you meet somebody or you read something and you, you come to it from a place of, you said, curiosity, yeah. right? And humility. And mm. you think to yourself, I could learn something from anyone. Yeah. That's like the most... You're just open Powerful to, and, yeah. yeah. You're just open way to everything. Of meeting you know, like and reading something for someone like you, especially, mashallah, who's endowed with knowledge. You know, mashallah. So you could kind of. It's so easy when you're in a position of knowledge. Having knowledge is a privilege. You know, it's a it's a it's a privilege to have knowledge that some people don't. And so you could be like, go to a gathering, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all of this before. Yada 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 what are you going to teach me or you could be like i wonder what i can learn from this mm. and then you will walk away with something with something yeah and even though you may know that you've heard that hadith a thousand times you've heard that ayah, right. but there's a nuance to it yeah that you hadn't that that sister right? or that person and then you just like, yeah. and it's like you've just learned it for the first yeah. time oh, sure. right and that's why i love being in that place of constant curiosity, even like with my kids and stuff, constant curiosity. What can I learn from this child? That's true. Right? Yeah. I like. I may like get like flustered at some point, and my eldest, he's fifteen, and he'll go, "But mum, why? Why are you stressed?" I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just actually. I don't know. Yeah. And it's just you know that ability to be curious about what's going on here, rather than I'm the mum. You're the kid. I'm the authority. I know. You don't know. Yeah. You just open yourself up. I, to so I much think more. that's huge because, yeah. um, you know, like uh, the the past generation, I, I don't know if, if it's like that in the, like you've noticed that a trend or like that in the Nigerian community, mm. if, if there is such thing as the Nigerian community, but <laughs> 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 amongst, amongst Asians anyway, um, I know that there's this kind of distance between parents and children you know yeah. uh, of that generation and parents would find it really hard to ever say I made a mistake I'm really sorry yes you know and they might do it in other ways but that kind of ability to say sorry or I, yeah. I didn't know or I, I didn't have it all figured out yeah I was under a lot of pressure yeah it's like not done right yeah it's um, it. It does take a, a certain level of self-assurance yeah. to be able to say, I made a mistake or even I'm struggling, you know, or I'm having a bad day or yeah. like today mm -hmm. is really whatever. Just to come from a place of I'm a human 
as yeah. much as you. Yeah. It's really interesting because I had a client yesterday who she was complaining to me about her child, her son, not being able to open up to her about a certain thing. And then I said to her, so when was the last time you were vulnerable about some of your struggles in the past and told mm. him about that? She was like, never. Um, you know, I've always <clears throat> wanted to protect them. I've always wanted to right. like hide it, hide it the best I, I can. And then I said, well, you're simply holding up a mirror to your son then, aren't you? Because in you being this, I can't show my emotions, he's doing the same thing to you. So suppose right. you did the opposite. She was like, I never thought of that. I was like, "We, you you are literally his- Modeled it. Yeah, him, you're right? modeling yeah. it to him. Yeah. So he's probably thinking, I need to protect mum from worrying. I don't want mum to worry. I don't want her to X, Y, Z. And you're getting like, oh, but it was, what's going on? But just model what you want him to- Right. But it takes so much to be able to allow yourself to be seen as a human in front of kids. Because somehow as adults, we've be we've kind of created this notion that we are older, so we should have all it all figured out. <laughs> and if we ever let them know... Then they're going to not respect us. It's like the world will right? shatter. And I think it comes from respect. I don't right. know, is it the same in like the Asian community? Like it, it, That comes from... It is. There's a story. I do think that that distance that we had from our parents, when I say distance, I mean like, you know, that's it. Sort revered. Of, yeah, Rever reverence. reverence. Yeah. It did create a reverence, you know, mm. that, that kind of. Um, but I think it's probably to do with the fact that they grew up in a culture and their parents didn't do that kind of thing with them, yeah. right? So, and then we're here in Britain where. <laughs> Free world. Everything is like touchy feely, <laughs> right? And we're, we're brought up to like, how do you feel and what do you think? And, you know, we've, we're really brought up to to really be in touch with our feelings. Mm. Sometimes I think a bit too much. Yeah. Like, to the point where, like, you know, we're overanalyzing and becoming neurotic about every little thing. But anyway, we, we're growing up, growing up in that culture. So I think maybe our generation sometimes yearned for that from our parents. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think it takes understanding, doesn't it? That yeah. look, some a person can't give you, or it's very difficult for them to give you something that they never saw, yeah, or understood themselves. You know, and and sometimes even have for themselves. You know, sometimes, right. you know, we seek from, a f maybe a, a seek from a parent affection, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they they berate themselves internally every single day. Right. How are they going to be able to show up for you and if, with with affection when they don't even do that for themselves first, you know? And so just, and that's why I love the premise of everyone's doing their best, the best that they can with what they have. Yeah. The issue is that we assume that they have what they don't. Exactly. Or we want them to have what we need. Oh yeah, from exactly, <laughs> exactly. And we play like that un... Unfair expectation. Yeah. I, and, I, and I don't know, like, if you've experienced that a lot of breakdowns in relationships comes from unmet expectations, expectations. Right. that one had placed, not one had said, I will be able to meet. I think that's huge. I mean, especially, you know, just realizing that, that, you know, your parents, for yeah. most people, their parents did the best they could yeah. with the knowledge, you know, knowledge as in, experiential yeah. knowledge and just knowledge of the world mm. and resources that they had right i think once you accept that that your parents yeah. it's not out of like neglect or you know most of the time it's just like it was just not 
something that they thought was important or more compassion yeah i think it brings yeah it brings compassion and understanding and our children are probably going to look at us in the same way one day (laughs) why didn't you do this yeah why didn't you do that even though right now we're we're saying that we are doing our best and we We are doing our best we've read all the books we know we've read all the parenting (laughs) books right um and for me personally that's been my, I, I guess, saving grace in my relationship with my father, for instance, who I didn't have an, a, a, an affectionate relationship with. And I can look back and say, I believe he was doing the best that he could with what he had, you know, knowing that his childhood was a certain way and he had these experiences. Surely he couldn't have had the things that I say that I needed and I'm saying this as an adult now, saying that I needed those things as a child. Maybe I didn't actually, I don't know. I was actually all right, you know. But we grow up and then we look back on our childhood and we say, oh, this was missing and that was missing and mm. you didn't give me this and you didn't give me that. And But you did give me some things. What it was it that you did give? Right. And that probably what you did give is the best that you could give me at the time. Yeah. And I, I think when you realise that, it kind of changes any... Resentment is just a terrible thing anyway. It just eats you up, right? Yeah. But it gives you a, a new, uh, a newfound gratitude mm. towards your parents, you know? Because mm. uh, sometimes I think we, our generation doesn't try to empathize what it felt like for, for people like our parents to travel all the way that they did mm. with no family, with no, you know, just to be yeah. uprooted from their culture and their background and Mm. and to come all the way here uh sometimes not know the language um face racism in a way that you know is not there now you know not in the same way at all um and all of that you know all the struggles all the and the the lack of knowledge the lack of yeah, yeah all of that subhanallah and i think if we were to be a bit more empathetic it would bring us to a place of gratitude with our parents um but what what do you think like um do you not think also that sometimes it's not that our parents generation um don't show love right especially the men right um Mm. i think it's that they show it in a different way yes do you think that yes yes and it so reminds kisses me of, and words it reminds not... me of that conversation with her, you had with um yes. with the five, five love languages, languages yeah. right and the fact that someone showing you love can come in multiple ways and yeah. i see this with clients as well you know mm. oh he he doesn't love me what evidence do you have because he doesn't give you know tell me like okay <laughs> <laughs> That's let's consider way. other the ways yeah. the other ways that he's actually yeah. showing you love it's just Mm. not the way and I think that's our problem sometimes when we want something and we decide that it's it can only happen in one way that leaves us in a bit of a dilemma really because we've said that if it's not this way then we can't get it in other way I'm not going to accept then then it does not even that it's not I'm not going to accept it does not exist it doesn't exist yeah but you see that's like a disservice to yourself because I I'll give you an example my my dad right when we got to a certain age I think he stopped being like kissy huggy you know like obviously like especially girls, with girls yeah <laughs> when we're older but I feel completely loved by him because he, the way he shows love when he goes abroad if he sees a book Fatima would love that book mm. he'll buy it you know mm. if he sees something 
he hears about something, he'll tell you, hey, you know, there's that thing going on. There's this, and it means like he's thinking about you. Yes. Right? And also through acts of service. Yes. So he, for him, it's like, if you need anything, you can call dad. Yes. He's there. Yeah. Doesn't matter what's going on, I right? I think acts so, of service are the ones that we often eliminate in our minds. Yeah. I think probably the, the the quickest gifts we see because it's like but yeah. you know for instance when an act of service has been done and it's seen as something you should be doing anyway so a husband going out to work and whatever right mm -hmm. the woman wouldn't necessarily thank him or show gratitude to him for doing those things because this is your role this is right. what you should be doing right, and right, vice right, versa right. you know yeah, woman's yeah. cooks for you whatever this is what you should really be doing anyway yeah. so why should i but the fact is that person, husband, has gone out to grind for you, to, to clothe you, to shelter you. And that's for, yes, for himself as well, but it's also for you. Mm -hmm. That's something that we, subhanAllah, imagine if more of us showed that gratitude for right. those acts of service. You know, even just like your dad going and subhanAllah, seeing a, seeing a book and thinking Fatima would love that and bring like purchasing it carrying it with him but mm -hmm. and and anticipate the anticipation of handing it over to you and giving it to you mm. you have on multiple levels and multiple planes you've been on his mind and right. just being on someone's in you know on someone's mind is an act of love but it we is. don't we don't see in, it in a way it's kind of more meaningful than lip service you know right. i'm just saying like it can be you know the fact that it's so much deeper in, in some yeah. ways, you know? So yeah. I think love, our parents show us love if only we were to recognize their way of showing love. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know that my father's way of showing love to us was by, in terms of monetary ways. And I remember in my 20s shunning that, like, right. like, that was the only way he knew how to show love. Like he was deficient in some sort of way. Subhanallah, oh. you know, and, and and you see it with- I'll take the money. With, <laughs> we, see, that's so funny. we see it with sisters, also women, whose husbands just give them, give money, but they don't show affection in that way. I was like, but yeah, but I don't want no, like, it's not seen as something to be grateful for or to show it like it's not seen as anything really like he's just he he can only show me love through money but he can't show me love through words but hey <laughs> there's some women who can who get i get love that. yous but they won't even get that exactly. like subhanallah we don't know our yeah. blessings yeah, yeah, yeah. right i would have loved if my dad got me some books like i was such a, a bookworm <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. he gave me the money so i could have gone and bought my and own books, books. yeah so, subhanAllah, that's really interesting. I mean, um, can you tell me a little bit about NLP? Because I mentioned it in the intro, and mm. I think people have some misconceptions sometimes about it. Like, how would you describe oh, NLP, it? NLP, I love it. I love it, oh, love okay. it, love it. <laughs> tell us. Um, Are you programming people's brains? Yes. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, neuro-linguistic programming. Mm -hmm. um, neuro referring to the brain and all of the things that the brain is uh, is uh, exposed to so the everything that the five senses so it takes in everything so and I love when I study like I remember coming across the fact that the brain that our senses are 
it's it's been bombarded with over two million bits of information every single second. So we're hearing things, we're feeling things, we're seeing things, but we are not. We're deleting most of that information because the brain would be overloaded right. by all of this information that is like all of the senses that's being bombarded. Right. So the neuro just focuses on the intake of the intake of the information and how it's processed and things like that. Linguistic comes from the language. Mm -hmm. And the wonderful thing is that the language, what language tells us a lot about what's going on in one's neurology. So what's going on in one's brain. So if someone says something like, uh, I can't, um, I, I can't, go and study I can't go and study the Quran I can't go inside the Quran because I'm a mother and I don't you know whatever that tells me that she's already put a limitation in her like internally she's got she's placed a limitation in a barrier and so she's telling herself something through language she has languaged what is going on inside right, right, right. so she has shared a limitation that is going on inside and for me it's always so interesting listening to people talk and I like people like my husband get really uncomfortable sometimes because he thinks I'm psychoanalyzing him all the time. I was like, dude, we're just having a conversation. It's okay. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm really, it's not that deep. I'm not paying attention to everything you're saying. But you can, you can hear a lot. You can hear and know a lot from what someone is saying. And NLP is always curious about that because mm. we don't make assumptions about your life. But if you say something, we know it's, there's something going on in here. So we will use base things based on what you say. Um, and then the programming is really based about based on how we are programmed or not, pro not, not that we are programming someone, but how we are programmed. So through our values, through our beliefs, they that leads to a certain way of thinking, way mm. of doing, way of being. And mm. that's just our own internal programming. So when it comes to neuro-linguistic programming, what we're, we're, our aim is to have an inside out approach to change. Mm -hmm. So unlike some other forms of therapy where we just, oh, you see this, okay, maybe stop doing that thing. NLP wants to know, how are you doing that thing in the first place? And help let us help you change how you do it because then you it will change your doing, right? So it's fo focusing on the how and mm -hmm. the why to find out how to change the what basically and it's, it's so could you could you give me like an example of a typical i know that's like difficult oh. to say typical but say <clears throat> somebody's come to you mm. can you give me an example of an issue that they might come to you with that neuro-linguistic programming could help them with i'll give you a classic example of one of the clients i've had she came with a fear of driving driving specifically uphill because she's had the experience of rolling back and almost hitting a car behind her. So one would think, just get on the train. <laughs> yeah, it's all over. But I wanted to get, um, I wanted to get curious about how she creates the fear, mm -hmm. how she creates the aversion to driving. And one, what I looked at was the, uh, so for instance, what images she had in her head, what thoughts she engages with in internally. And then I took her through the process of actually dismantling that. Now, the thing with NLP is that we have certain techniques that mm -hmm. can help dismantle certain behavior and thought patterns, right? And those can be quite powerful 
um, in and of themselves. But a lot of NLP, actually, the skill of NLP comes from using language to help someone dismantle their beliefs, their their premonitions and their internal assumptions and help them to reach newer conclusions that opens up more choice. So is it would you say things like affirmations affirmations like- work to a certain degree okay. i like positive affirmations um to a certain degree however like something that i teach the ladies that i work with is that you can tell yourself you're beautiful you're beautiful you're beautiful you're beautiful in the mirror i'm beautiful i'm beautiful and there'll be that little voice that says you lying girl <laughs> just lying you lying you don't and then we'd need to go why is that not working it can't then we need to look at her self-esteem does she herself her self-worth her Mm self-love her self-belief and those are key because to helping the affirmations actually work because if you don't like believe that you're worthy of being here if you think that you're a waste of space, of course, you're beautiful is not going to help you, right? And so that's why NLP is like focused a lot on the roots of the problem. I come, I often say to my, my clients, some of my clients say, you're a mind doctor. You know, you're like, you go in with the scalpel and the, like you get right in there and you sort it all out, clean up the mess. And then you come out and seal it up nicely. And I think I like that analogy. So I'm rolling with that. <laughs> mm, I roll with that, but for someone like it has got some bad. It's, it's got a bad rap. Uh, it gets a Where bad. Where does that rap. come from? It comes from the fact that language is powerful, and through certain language patterns, you can use it to manipulate people. So NLP has to be used with integrity, and with a clean nia, like a clean uh, intention. So, for instance, yes, and uh, the thing is with. NLP is embedded in a lot of advertising and right, presidential right. speeches and they know certain things. They, they've probably been taught it in order yeah. to manipulate people to think a certain, certain way, yeah. right? And that's tap just... Tap into people's fears, tap into their Right, and that's the power of language. Allah has given gifted us with language and yeah. it, it's so powerful. In the wrong hands, it can be used to manipulate and that's that's the truth. A, a side stem from uh, like uh, something that stems from NLP is uh, hypnotherapy, which right. has also a bad rap. Like, oh my God, you're kind of like, are you using gin? But subhanAllah, the thing about hypnotherapy is that it is simply a state of trance. It, it, and trance is a state of extreme relaxation. Mm. If you think of khushur, you know those haba stories of where like they are in solar. Right, and they don't know someone has come in. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, that's because they are in trance. Yeah, they are completely disconnected from whatever's going on outside them, and that's that's literally what hypnotherapy is to be in such a state that's connect disconnected that anyone could say something and help you get certain results in your life. I think hypnotherapy's got a bad rep because people associate it with certain you know tv programs where they've seen you know yeah paul mckenna or whoever you know like get somebody in a trance and then do something weird Stupid, and, yeah. yeah and so yeah. people think it's like that but it from what i've uh, researched about it it's it's very much more about 
like you said, accessing that subcon yourself at that subconscious level. Like I'm really into meditation, by the way. Mm. Um, oh, really? Yeah, tell I, me I more like, about that. I mean, I would say okay. Let yes, me like, yes, let me yes. not exaggerate. Um, <laughs> I use meditation sometimes to help me to go to sleep. Okay. Um, simply, uh, I I could use a dhikr as well. You know, uh-huh. there is that. Uh, however, uh, there was just a time when um, my husband was away from home a lot um, regularly, and so I would be by myself a lot. Obviously, the kids, but without yeah. another adult and um i would find uh, i tend to be a very like excited about things and my mind would race and i would start thinking about so many projects and stuff like that and i found this um nice little uh kind of meditation app right and it it really helped me to let go of any thoughts mm. and just relax before going to sleep yeah you know? so <clears throat> i've been using it for that so you just listen it you just listen to the the meditation app and then that helps you to go to sleep is that what you're saying yeah okay i don't use it regularly i'll use it when i feel that my mind is racing too much and mm. i need to sleep mm. i need it to switch, switch to off. go into that kind of mm. you know and go to sleep um so it just helps me with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see just from that, I mean, it's just a simple thing, but just from that, I could see how, you know, that kind of focus yeah. and accessing your subconscious yeah. can help you to kind of become very at one with yourself. Mm. Sound Sounding really weird to yeah, people who are weird. not, <laughs> who are not, who are not, you know, like, yeah. who haven't had experience of it. Yeah. However, it's really not as... It does sound new age. It does yeah. sound new age and it sounds, and I, I think because it's so, it sounds so new age, it seems mm. so far from Islam and that's, people are scared from straying into unknown territory because they're worried that it's going to take them into a minefield that will kind of go against Islam. But if you think about it, you know, subhanAllah, when someone is engaging in dhikr, like really yeah. engaging in dhikr, mm-hmm. and, you're th- and you're concentrating on what's being said, or what you're saying, you almost empty yourself. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you empty yourself and you are just literally praising Allah or whatever it is, seeking yeah. forgiveness or whatever it may be that you're saying. And that's almost like the peak state. Right of connection mm. to Allah Absolutely. you know and I and that's how I think of salah like real khushur that's deep like I've emptied all of my thoughts all of my like fears everything and it's just me in conversation with the Lord of the Worlds yeah if only we were to realize the gift that salah is like yeah. if we weren't to pray at its last time or mm. rush or you know if we were to like really give it its huck give it yeah. its huck i think mm. it would have it's much more powerful than meditation yes know? um yeah subhanallah yeah yeah and i i don't i don't have i don't i don't hear many muslims say that they meditate so yeah. that was like oh really um because it's it's nice to know that i go for a walk every day um mm. in the morning after dropping my kids in the park and there's this guy right <laughs> in the middle of the park right who's sitting there doing some meditation and i just watch him sometimes you know it's like really interesting like mm. he's lit like when i say 
literally by himself. It's like a big field with yeah, one in man in the middle of it <laughs> in this pose, you know, and he's like doing this meditation every single morning. But he looks relaxed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it made me realize, subhanAllah, like at the moment it's kind of hip to meditate, right? Everyone's talking about it. and yeah. But as you mentioned, you know, we have... I'm not going to reduce salah to being just a meditation. It's not no. that. But we do have that five times a day ability to tap in yeah. away from the world. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the causes, isn't it? Of yeah. like people constant feeling connection. the need for meditation, yeah. the constant, like you said, bombardment of information. The pho- phones don't help, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Well, it's the way we we're using the phones, yeah. right? Constantly allowing ourselves to be attacked you know mentally with information news bad news good news yeah it's too much yeah for the, and, the, for the, and there is only for the so brain. much that we can take and that's why meditation does seem like such a it's so attractive because yeah. there's that yearning to switch off there's that yearning to just empty you know just yeah silence I, I, I think one of the reasons why i don't have that aversion to meditation is in my school we used to do it like regularly. Mm. A type As a child, of, yeah, in secondary school, oh. there was a type of meditation that they do, a relaxation exercise, more to be more accurate. But it's very similar, you know. Wow. Uh, where you literally tighten and release every mm. part of your body from the bottom to the top, and you would. What did that do for the kids in the school? I'm curious. Like, what was like the behavior? I like, fell asleep the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. It was in PE, you know, and well, I don't know if it was in PE, but it was in a PE hall, right? Like uh, uh, a sports hall, yeah. and uh, we were lying down on mats, right? And I literally fell asleep. Was it a regular thing that you guys did, or was yeah, it just yeah, a yeah. one-off? No, it was regular. So, in terms of beha- kids with behavior issues, what was that like in your school? Because I can only imagine that it would be like a nice thing for kids. It was amazing. Do. I loved it myself, you know. I realized how connected our body is mm. to our thoughts. Yes. Because what what happened was you could, uh, they did this exercise where you could literally see the difference between, like, say, a shoulder that yeah. you'd tensed and then relaxed. Yeah. Compared to your other shoulder. Mm. Like, literally, we are in a state of tension a lot Most of, the, of time. the time. Yeah. And uh, we don't realize it. And I yes. think that's why sometimes people find it hard to fall asleep or, you know, they find it hard to relax. Yes. Even something as simple as take a deep breath, you realise that you have been taking shallow breaths. Yeah, absolutely. You know, someone says, take a deep breath, and you're like, oh, that feels so good. It's like, yeah, because <laughs> we don't breathe deeply. Yeah, so subhanAllah, you know, there, there are other... I think before people become suspicious of something, Yeah. like you said, you, they, they've got to look at the fact that it depends on the intention of the yes. person mm-hmm. behind it. And also there is wisdom and goodness in different techniques and different types of things. You know, it's yeah. not, uh, we shouldn't be overly suspicious without doing some research yeah. and looking into it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where my personal openness with NLP, because I started my journey with NLP started as a, in the client seat I didn't like go in to learn about NLP. Oh, yeah. So I So you benefited from it yourself. So, yeah, so it was only from benefiting from it personally that I 
developed that certainty that this is such good stuff. Um, so I started my journey with NLP in the client seat as someone who wanted to go on a personal transformational journey and then kind of like the roles reversed. Okay, so I, I want to talk to you about um, Evolve and Emerge yes. and about motherhood because on uh, your website, you know, the, the, there's a lot of emphasis on the fact that you're helping mothers, you said, in their transformational journey to mm -hmm. being who, how and where they want to be for themselves and their kids. Mm. Uh, can you like elaborate a little bit on that? Like where does that, um, where does your desire to focus on mothers come from? Okay, so that desire to focus on mothers literally came within the last few weeks, specifically mothers. Um, from me coming out with the realization, coming to the realization that 98% of the people, my clients and sisters who've taken my workshops and courses and things have been mothers. Very few have not actually been mothers. Mm -hmm. um, whether they're married, whatever, it doesn't actually, it's irrelevant. But the fact that most of these women have been mothers, it just, I thought, let me just own it. Because I think my mm. my aversion to saying that I work specifically with mothers is because was the fear of leaving anyone out. I didn't want to leave anyone behind. But I've come to the realization that Alhamdulillah, there are so many people in this field of helping others. Yeah. Why do I need to be the one who helps everybody? Everyone. Right? <laughs> like there's 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 no need to place that pressure on myself. Alhamdulillah, yeah. if someone was interested in working with me and they, they weren't a mother, I they the there are so many other women that I can, sisters that I can pass them on to or refer them on to, you know, mashallah, who are doing incredible work. And so it, it came from my own, uh, just stepping into the truth that I do work with mothers. I resonate deeply with mothers and their struggles as one myself, um, mm -hmm. as a mother of two, two teens and a toddler. So I've got a nice spectrum of, uh, <laughs> of experience. And just knowing also, also, I think more so is the fact that I like working with one sister is never just working with that one sister. Mm. Working with that sister will impact how she is with her children, will impact how they are with their children. A lot of the sisters that I'm talking to, like who work, who come into like programs with me, they have been, they are only perpetuating a pattern of behavior that have that's been in the generations before them. Mm -hmm. And so I say to them, you can be the catalyst to change the future of your progeny. You can change the direction of your progeny because you're choosing to make, to break from that pattern of behavior that isn't useful and hasn't, hasn't been useful and choosing something else. And that is quite powerful for me, the ripple effect of that, to know that and I will have a positive impact on someone and that, besides being a sadaqatul jara bi'ithnillah, is it goes further than just her. Mm. It, it reaches out to everyone she has contact with and those people they have contact with, inshallah. And that for me is really inspiring. It motivates me. Mm -hmm. And to think that there'll be people walking on this earth long after I've gone who've benefited yeah. somehow from what I've worked yeah. with. Subhanallah. Uh, do you think that sometimes uh, as women, as mothers, we don't realize the the power and impact that we really have if we were to recognize it and, and I own it. I think it's coming out. I think it's coming out yeah. slowly. It's getting there, but we don't. We don't. Yeah. I mean, you, I don't know about you, Fatima. You know, like when you're having a good day, 
your house is good, yeah? And if Fatima is not having a good day, the household oh, feels yeah. it. You mean the mood of the yeah, house? Just that... every, yeah, just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We carry Everyone so absorbs. much... Yes, we carry so much energy. Everyone's really... really happy when mom's happy, you know, it tends, tends to be the case. Definitely, yes, definitely. Yes, And it's... No, I don't know about... It's never the same with men. When a man isn't in a good mood, yes, the woman might absorb that, but he him changing she might not necessarily... get in a bad mood <laughs> for him being in a good mood. Right. You come home all you... happy and cheerful. And I'd be washing, I'd yeah. be doing this. And But yeah. you see what I mean? Like we have <clears throat> so much, even this is where, and this is really why I love that ayah in Surah Al-Ra'ad where Allah says that he will not change the condition of people until they change what is within themselves. This is the premise of the work that I do. Right. Because... If you work on yourself, and I've seen it as someone who was once passive aggressive and was always having mood swings and how that impacted my family to now where the household, like generally we're having so much banter, you might not know who's the like parent and who the kids are, you know? And that's just from me working on myself first not saying well you should change and you should change and if he were to do this and if she were to do this then I would be like this I think that's often the narrative that so how did you realize that that it starts with to, me to start focusing on yeah yourself. it came from asking myself the question if if you were to die today Lienka what would your children say about you mm. if you were to die what would they say how would they describe you what would they say and that answer, the answer to that was so painful that I decided at that moment, like, yeah, we're not going out like that. This is not the legacy that we're going to live where your children will say, well, she's always angry and she's always shouting and she never, she's never praised me in my life. I've never, she's never says anything good about me. Uh, she's just always, I was like, no, we can't do that. And that was my turning point, you know? Mm. Um, that was my decision that came from my decision, not necessarily because I could see the reflection of what I was bringing into my household Right. more so than maybe if I was living on my own, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't see it so much, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but having children and that responsibility, it was weightier. Subhanallah, children are such a mirror, aren't they, to us? I mean... Yeah. <clears throat> Subhanallah, I was just thinking that one of the practices that we have in our house, I don't know if you'd recommend this, is every year we have a family meeting. <clears throat> and we do year. like a, a, Is it an annual? It's like an annual review. <laughs> I love that. My husband hates it. He hates it. <laughs> he hates it. <laughs> He's like, oh no, she's bringing her diary out. <laughs> My poor husband, right? Um <clears throat> But he gets it, you know, he gets the... Ve- <laughs> oh, it's just the... Ve- <laughs> You've got to cut this out, by the way. We can't... So we have this... Uh... <laughs> I've still got tears about it. I know. So we have this... So we have this meeting, okay, a family meeting, uh, once a year. And in it, uh, you know, my husband hates it, but uh, it, he understands the uh, utility of it, right? Mm. So we'll sit down. Usually at the end of the year or at the end of the academic year, because everyone is like going by that calendar at the moment, right? Um, We'll sit down and we'll say, okay, what's working in our family? Oh, big questions. Okay. What's not working, right? 
And apart from like us doing like individual, going through each child and asking them, you know, what are your goals for the year and stuff like that. Okay, we also do this very painful inventory oh, gosh. <laughs> of what would you like to change about our family. Oh, <clears throat> and I'm telling you, the first time we did it, it was painful. What made it to painful? hear to hear the the truth. Ooh. from your own teenage children oh. about how how is stuff for them how is this experience for them you know because mm. i think as as moms or especially like if you've got if you're like a, quite an organized person and you have these tick box right like well i've done this i've taken them on this i've done that i've you know i've done everything yeah. that i'm meant to do yeah. but how is how are they experiencing What's the experience it? like right that's so powerful fatima yeah. This is, I mean, yeah, it's painful as well. Like painful in the sense. Painful that, for whom? For you to listen to it, or for it, them? But the thing to is, it's a it. temporary pain. You know, yeah, yeah, it's a it's painful for parents to listen to. Yeah. Especially when you think, but I've done so much. I'm still up. I've 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 worked so hard, or, you know, oh, they're just so unthankful. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you can start thinking that. Yeah. But but you see, I know of instances in families, where things weren't talked about like that, you know? And children went year after year after year having problems and struggles that they could never talk to their parents about. And then what happens is that can then blow out of all, you know, like... Out of proportion. Proportion, yeah. and it can even become a mental health problem. Yeah. And then later on, sooner or later, you have to deal with it. That's yeah, that's that's, that's what I'm saying, yeah. right? Yeah. There's this book. I don't know if you've seen it, right? It's called um, "There's No Such Thing as Dragons." No such thing. As no dragons. such things as dragons. Oh, dragons. Okay. And mm. it's a book about this this boy, and he's got a little dragon in his house, right? And uh, he's he keeps telling his mum, "Mum, there's a dragon in my room," and she's like, "Don't be silly. There's no such thing as dragons." And, you know, in throughout the book, like the dragon, he's there at breakfast time and he's there at different times and he, he's growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And his mum just keeps saying, there's no such thing as dragons. Don't be silly. Yeah. Until the dragon becomes as big as the house and takes over the whole house and carries the house and starts walking off with it. And then the mum is like, oh, there is a dragon. Right. And she yeah, and, and when she acknowledges that there's a dragon, it starts shrinking again and then it. Right. So it's a kid's story. It's a yeah. kid's story, right? But when I looked at it, I thought, wow, that is it. Yeah. We do not want to face up to the problems when they're small. Yeah. Right. And then we allow them to grow. We allow them to grow. Mm. Sooner or later, you're going to have to notice it. It's going to it's going to demand that you notice it yeah. and face it. Yeah. So better to face it when it's small, small. manageable. You can deal with it. And you can deal with it rather than it becoming like a big, do you know yeah. what I mean? And I think that's why we started that practice of having I those meetings. I love that. Yeah. My children and my family may have may thank you, or they may not from this day. <laughs> <laughs> it's that diary. I, She's but bringing I, her but, diary out. For me, I love it because it's all about growth and yeah. and becoming better. You know, where yeah. there's always going to be something to work on. And that's just the nature of being a human being because we're, you know, we're perfectly flawed. Mm. Um, 
and so there's always going to be something but you know do you know what i love particularly about what you said the you're doing something but someone's experience of that thing that you're doing might be very different from how you're perceiving and how you're doing right, it right? Right, right, right and so that gives you an opportunity for to, to really re- reassess Recess. yourself yeah, yeah. you know and mm. to think okay so it wasn't taken as i had intended yeah. for it to be taken mm. so how can i like what can i do better and how can i improve i see i see i'm all for that i'm all for that yeah so, absolutely yeah. And I, I really value the fact that you're you're talking about how important mothers are and uh, you know yeah. I, I think if we can really encourage mothers right and and bring out that knowledge in themselves of how important they are and how pivotal you know to culture to society to i think that's probably going to be the most powerful way to bring about any kind of positive change and that's an epiphany one of my clients had this week that i actually matter wow wow isn't she, isn't it sad that it, it, it in was, the culture that we live in unreal motherhood and mothers are seen as a side like your kids are a side project they're yeah. a side thing yeah to your main career right you yeah. have this main thing yeah and they're they're on the side and they have to fit around it and yeah. you know it's not seen as as uh what's the word you know if you, if you ask a sister what do you do oh I, I'm, I'm just a yeah. mom i'm just you're just a, you're just a mom yeah, yeah. do you know the weight of your role sisters this is I, I really <laughs> want to say this to you please never ever say i'm just, just a mom please never ever say that no because being it's, a mom is it's a massive responsibility you are raising human beings you know human beings you the next carry them <laughs> generation of human beings right and nobody <sighs> has the influence that you have mm. um and that's scary as well right um but at the same time i think it's a kind of it's it's life or it's allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forcing us to step up yeah you know yes yes and i always when i look at my kids i'm always grateful that allah gave them to me in order to be a, a means for me to fix up you know it was through these children because i had the same issues that i had when i was in egypt on my own then I have then I had when I you know when I was a mother with my children so it's not that the issues were d- that I didn't have issues it's just that having my children presented me it was literally the mirror that I needed to actually finally face myself and say issues you need to fix that you need to and I can't afford to ignore it yeah. because because it's the consequences are too great yeah subhanallah yeah. but yeah. I think there's a message of hope in that because what you're it seems to me that you're saying is that even if you're not where you want to be yeah you can get there. you can get there you can you for can. yourself and your kids yeah. and your family and and i think and this is something that i was speaking with someone today that we have the no, the notion of perfection that you need to be the perfect mother yeah. you need to be the perfect anything mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 score is not one that a human being can ever achieve 10 out of 10 what allah has given us is 9 out of 10 and that's ihsan it when ihsan is not perfection and if anything it's excellent so it's just yeah. the best that you can actually do yeah. it's not 
the be- the best of the best. And I always say like, subhanAllah, if we were meant to be perfect, we would be like the angels. They don't even need to seek istighfar because they don't make mistakes. Their sole role is to worship and praise, is to praise Allah, right? Mm-hmm. We are eternally flawed. That's why Allah says, "My like the door of his mercy is open to us. The door to tawbah is open. The door to forgiveness is open. Because he knows, even you who attain ihsan, there's going to be something that you flop on. There's going to be a mistake that you make because you're human. But I'm, I'm more merciful. Like my, my mercy supersedes my wrath. You know, and for me, there's, there's, there's that hope that yes, today might be a, a rubbish day, but you know, if Allah gives me tomorrow and I can, if I make tomorrow, I can decide that today is a new chapter and, and I will make diff like I will make amends today. You know, I'll do things differently today. SubhanAllah, that, I, really, I really love that message. You know, it's really, it's so easy to, <clears throat> to get into a victim mindset, you know? Yeah. Where you feel like we mentioned parents, you know, you feel like my parents should have done better, my yeah. husband, my this, my that, you know. <clears throat> and I've noticed that when sisters start thinking to themselves, you know what, I can't change the past. I can't change everything around me and I can't change other people. Fundamentally, I cannot force them yeah. to change. No. The thing I've got power over is myself. And I need to bring about the happiness, the the joyfulness, the the whatever it is yeah. that I want to see in my life, I need to bring that about yeah. through action and through the art and yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah, and I and, and you know that people allow their thought, their past to haunt them. Yeah, and to you know the past is the past. Things have happened. You've done things that you're not proud of. You know, you've made mistakes. Yes, you've yelled at your child. Yes, you've said some hurtful things. Mm. And those that that time has passed. And But yet we lament about the past, forgetting that we can create a new future based on the choices that we make today. Right. Our future is determined by our, in our choices today. And we have an infinite number of choices we can ever, we can always make, which means our future has an infinite number of ways that it can play out. Absolutely. So we I... don't know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written for us. Right. So we have no right to say, I can't, or that won't right. happen, or right. that dua won't be answered, right. or that wish of mine won't come true, right? Just choose differently. Yeah. Choose differently. And, and, and with NLP, the aim of NLP is to help you to see you've got more choice. Well, you know what? This reminds me of a recent uh, episode of Honest Tea Talk. Mm. And uh, for our viewers and listeners who don't know what Honest Tea Talk is, you can look it up on YouTube. Um, Honest Tea Talk is like a, it's just like a coming together, mashallah, <laughs> of of three sisters. Mm. Uh, you, you describe it to us. What is Honest Tea Talk? <laughs> I love Honest Tea Talk. Well, we, we it was inspired by uh, Jada and Pinkett Smith her red table talk mm-hmm. where she and her mom and her daughter come and they have a conversation about whatever um and they just bring it to the table real talk real and we, talk, and, yeah. and this comes from Alia Qadri Umrayan from Solis um and Sisters Achieve who was who put out a, a message on Facebook one day and said wouldn't it be amazing if we had a Muslim version on a sea talk and everyone was like yeah go on waiting for you there yeah, yeah. yeah do it she was go like then. uh yeah. th- 
wasn't what I was thinking. But okay. <laughs> and then we, alhamdulillah, we, we kind of, the three of us, so Sumeya, Hassan from Recite and Reflect, um, Alia and myself, we literally come to the table with some tea, obviously me, Earl Grey, and yeah. we just talk about important matters, matters that are important to the ummah, specifically to women as, mm-hmm. as well. And just wanting to have, to create dialogue, to create awareness and to just talk things out that we generally don't want to talk about. So we've covered quite a few topics so far, such as um, abuse in the Muslim community, which was the recent one, um, one of the recent ones. Um, we've talked about self-love and forgiving ourselves. We've talked about um, div- uh, d- um, depression. And that one was a bit controversial. And just about being real also so we've covered quite a few topics and alhamdulillah it's it's an opportunity yeah and just thinking about honesty talk like for me it's it has been we get together we have a conversation it's good drink some tea have a good time but when you get messages like we got last week from a guy on youtube and he goes i'm a white man i'm christian and I love what you're doing and wow. everything you're saying is so universal. And we're like, we're talking about Allah and we're talking about the deen. And then we've got this white Christian man who's just like, keep doing it. Wow. You never know where the land, the message is going to land. And this is, this for me is like just a, a metaphor for life. You know, you plant seeds mm. and you just don't know. You don't like the aim is to plant good seeds so that whatever comes forth is beautiful and useful and beneficial for other people. And, that has kind of changed how we viewed honesty talk in that this can be a way to so much khair. maybe mm. fostering understanding, maybe people being open to under- wanting to know about Islam, maybe um, people kind of uh, bringing down all these misconceptions and the stereotypes and, you know, people learning about their deen in a, ma- in a way that they didn't like. One sister would say, oh my God, like seriously? I didn't even know that spiritual, like um, religious abuse, like someone using the dean to abuse me was a thing. I just thought that's his right. It's like, oh, okay. So now we've opened up the door for you to actually see what's really going on in your marriage, for instance, mm. you know? So alhamdulillah for the, it's, it's been, it's been enlightening and, but it's been an, it's for me, it's been like a real blessing. Um, but I'm actually really interested to know what did you, what have you thought of honesty talk as a viewer? What have I thought? Yes, about? it's always. It's always I, I felt like to... like busting onto the set and <laughs> joining you. Yes. <laughs> that's the first. Well, you know we're going to bring that's you my on first for season instinct. two. Yes, <laughs> that's my first instinct. <laughs> okay, because I love a good conversation yes. with my sisters, right? Um, I think for me. Uh, I think it's that same thing that we were just mentioning about mm. when there's a problem yeah. and when there are issues in the community, right? It's like that little dragon in the house, right? You know. I'm always going to remember that. <laughs> it needs to, you need, you need to get that book. Yeah. It's, it's such a good lesson for kids as well, you know, that yeah. when the dragon is little, look at it. But what, what I feel that like has happened is on certain issues, the dragon is so big that you yeah. guys have gotten together and said, well, that's it. We're going we're gonna to notice the dragon. We're going to talk about it. We're going to, you know. It's overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. So I, I think, I think it, it is important. Yeah. It is important. And uh, 
I, I think um, the first step, isn't it, is acknowledgement yeah. and being able to open the conversation. So I, I, I see it as a way, from, from what I can see, a way of opening those taboo kind of topics in the first place. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully, I, I hope that, you know, from that, um, you know, people can start facing up mm. and realising, no, these are things that we do need to address and we do yeah. need to, we can't just keep hiding them. And one of the things that I found very powerful in the last episode was when you guys were talking about abuse, one of the things you mentioned was about healing, mm. right? And about how having experienced abuse you can come out and yeah. heal. And yeah. I wonder if you could share with us, um, what does that process look like? See, the process of healing for someone who's been through abuse is, I think, is really individual. So I can only really talk about my personal process in, you know, as someone who was abused as a child and, you know, is only really talking about it in adulthood. And I think for me personally it was to acknowledge that I was a victim and I wasn't at fault well. because a lot there's a lot of victim blaming and shaming that occurs when it comes when when you talk about abuse what did she do what did he do what was their role to play in this right and so the victim can be seen as having brought it upon themselves. So I think one key, maybe one of the very first points to heal is to actually say, this happened to me. I was violated and it wasn't my fault. So again, that acknowledgement. Definitely acknowledge, acknowledgement and the separation of blame. Right. I, I noticed you made a distinction between, or you actually said you didn't like I think the distinction between survivor and yeah. victim. I mean, some the, you didn't the, feel you had to be called a survivor. I, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I remember saying that. It's it's because some. I mean, it's it's all language and it's all whatever. If it helps you, you know, we're not going to have a debate about it, right? Some people don't like calling themselves a victim because it makes it seem like they're still stuck in it, stuck in that space, like they are allowing weak. what happened it's, to them. It sounds to them as a weak position of weakness. Yeah, yeah and, position yeah. of weakness. Yeah, yeah. And survivor is one. I have I have become victorious Defiant. and yeah. I have, you yeah. know, whatever. Some people will call themselves a survivor of abuse, but they're barely surviving, you know. And it's enough for you to say regardless of the label you decide to throw on yourself it's enough for you to say i went through this this happened to me mm -hmm. and it wasn't my fault right you know that enough is empowering whether you call yourself a victim or survivor or, or a warrior whatever language you want to use just that acknowledgement that acknowledgement that this happened i think that is essential for you to be able to heal because those who are stuck in the cycle of even just reliving the abuse and not being able to step out of it is that it's there's still an element of blame that's attached or guilt of some sort or guilt yeah yeah mm. yeah um and another part of the healing process is talking about it you know i i don't see i see myself as just 
I'm, I'm very grateful for the fact that what happened to me happened to me and I didn't talk about it to anyone until I was probably in my 20s. Um, but I, it didn't, Allah gifted me with, I don't know what it was, but I wasn't a victim to it. Like, so I wasn't stuck in it. I didn't allow it to be a reason for me to not do anything. That happened to me, so I hate all men. That happened to me, so whatever, you know, to and mm -hmm. to be, to victimize myself, because it's one thing to be, like your rights perpetrated and it's another thing to victimize yourself you know and to almost become you become the passenger in the you become the passenger and that's right in Rather the driving than the seat. driver yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's it sounds so difficult you know it it takes a lot to switch i believe it takes a lot to switch from the space of this happened to me and so my life can only go in a certain direction. I'm not clean, I'm not this, I'm that, oh. only certain, I, I'm not worthy of people like that because they're too good for people like me, you know? To actually, and that's where I, that's why I believe it's so important to acknowledge that this happened to you, you're not at fault, this, this wasn't your fault, you're not to blame, that person is. Um, because then you can actually say, okay, that happened to me I am still deserving of love. I Allah still said kun and I'm here. I'm worthy to be here. I'm worthy to exist. And stepping into that worth and your worth as a human being, then you can decide different things for yourself. And the way, and, and finally get into the driving seat to steer things in the direction that you want to steer them into. You so know? would you say that your Islamic journey, because I think, um, in in the past, you've mentioned about um, you know seeking that authenticity, seeking that authentic Islam, you know, and and wanting to follow the Sunnah and your journey yeah. in doing that. Do you think did that have any role or any did it help in any way? Or? I, do you know it's interesting because my Islamic journey is parallel that spiritual awakening that Allah gave me. Um, I. It's interesting you asking that question because I haven't actually ever linked it to mm. my own healing journey. Um, but I know that there were aspects of my personality and how I was that maybe in my adolescence mm -hmm. that probably stemmed from my abuse experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was only like looking back, having, you know, come back to Islam because I was born in a Muslim family um so choosing Islam for myself um I can see that if Allah hadn't gifted me with that my life would have gone down a different path and it wouldn't have been anywhere near where I am right now and so my journey in Islam and my journey to to get to know Allah for myself and to build my own connection with Allah and things like that definitely helped in me becoming and obviously becoming who I am today but in terms of n certain patterns of behavior that I was engaging in in my adolescence I was able that cut it did cut that alhamdulillah so that I was free and I feel like that allowed me like real freedom from my experience yeah um that maybe without Islam I wouldn't have had that complete f freedom 
Yeah, I think I think it's quite common for um, people of our generation um, whose parents, you know, even even if you're brought up in a Muslim family, <clears throat> if if your parents were part of a particular group or if they had a particular cultural understanding of Islam, yeah, I think it's I'm noticing that it's quite it, it is something common for our generation to have kind of wanted. It's like this desire to for authenticity. Um, that they then had to sometimes, you know, tell their parents or realize that their parents were not always right about everything yeah. and then kind of go on their own journey. Yeah. Yeah. And this is fueling my motherhood in that, okay, so I've come, like, Allah has guided me back to Islam. I've learned about Allah. I've built a relationship with Allah. And I don't take it for granted that my children, that that's not inherited that my children won't inherit that you know I want them right. yes I want them to be like on the dean I want them to be but I have to also succumb to the fact that just as I went on my own spiritual journey to find Allah to discover yeah. Allah to build my connection with Allah my children need to decide for themselves and choose Allah for themselves at some point and that causes knots in my stomach and sometimes sometimes because oh, yeah. that choosing Allah might not be right now it might not be right now that makes me emotional but it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a reality it might not be right now but my dua is that whenever Allah takes them he, he takes them when he's pleased with them and upon Islam and whether that's not right now as in they have to go on a bit of a detour but that they will find their way back to him at some point and so even like I look at my parents, they're probably in a state of despair. Like, oh my God, this girl is going against everything our culture. Like we brought her up on. And I mean, I didn't go any way. I didn't go wayward. I actually went further in the direction. And now yeah. in hindsight, you know, subhanAllah, my mom and my dad are like, alhamdulillah, <laughs> you know, alhamdulillah. Because they went on their own spiritual journey yeah. to come back to Islam anyway. But it's just that feeling of, okay, Okay, that belief and certainty and that tawakkul, that just trust in Allah that my children need to choose Allah for themselves. They need to that choose Allah so for themselves. That is so hard. It's hard. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago I was in a class with Sheikh, Sheikh Akram another mm. week, and he said, you have to give your children the right to make mistakes. Yeah. And everyone's like, no. To make their own mistakes. <laughs> and we were all sitting there like oh, squirming, you know, like, because I think it's so painful watching your child oh. make, it's, it's just like seeing them go towards a fire, right? And what you do to to warn them and protect mm. them and, and tell them no and move that fire away and punch them even you know mm. to get them out of the way of the mm. fire right and when he said that you know it just it made me think you know why are we so like silly about it because if you think about it right mm. we went through so many things yes we made so many mistakes yes and it's probably because we made those mistakes that then it's so painful like um, my child's not making that mistake yes. right if we were to be really honest, right, um, those mistakes made us. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there's one thing teaching a child that something's uh, wrong or teaching them that something's good 
for them. Yeah. And there's another thing. I remember my dad took me to Egypt and left me there when I was like 16. And it was the first time I had to start praying for myself, you know, like Choosing. taking care of my own yeah. salahs, mm. waking up for fajr. Mm. And initially, it was such a struggle. It wasn't happening. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the fajr, right? right? Until I met this uh, sister in the hostel that I was living in. And she would she would go around the whole hostel waking everyone up for fajr. And, you know, I, I woke up and I would pray and... And I'd say to her, you know what? Everyone's getting so annoyed with you. Like, they don't want to pray Fajr on time, you know, like before sunrise. They don't want to lose sleep. They just want to wake up and pray whenever. Mm. Like, why do you do it? And I, I'm like the 16-year-old, like asking my friend, and she was from the Philippines, and she said to me, Fatima, if I'm planning on going to Jannah, I may as well drag as many people as I can with me. Right? I love that. And I just remember that. And I was like, wow, you know. That's and profound, and she, she, she was the one who woke me up and mm. she, she helped me to sort of realize that I had to take responsibility for my Fajr Salah, you know. Mm. And the thing is that until you experience that period of, okay, your parents are not there, nothing is stopping you or making you pray. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I could not pray and nobody would notice. Nope. Except the, for the fact that I know Allah is uh, yeah. there, right? So that taqwa is there. Yeah. And it forces you then to have integrity with that taqwa, right? Mm. But that wouldn't have happened if mom was watching over me right. 24-7, right? Right. And, and I might have made some mistakes and had to go through that yeah. in order to learn that difficult... Yes. So, like, we've had those types of things. We've had other things as well, but... We don't want our children. I don't know what is up we with can't, us. You know? yeah. <laughs> For our children it's to that, go through. It, it's that fear, like you were saying, that if we if we create an ounce of room, they just go into go a, a different direction. So let's create no room. But then, without room, there is there's no there's no learning, because it's through that room that we actually trip that we fall, that we actually look at, take stock, that we decide, okay, that was not a good idea. You know, it just, if, if even just looking at the story of Adam, السلام, that the room was created for him to make that mistake. Right. Right. The room mm. was created. Otherwise, you know, if it was just never make the mistake, but yeah. we, I think it's the learning also of the possibility of redemption. Yeah that it's it's through that mistake that we can actually then come closer to Allah and seek his forgiveness you know and that redemption is always there that redemption is always there that that message is so important because I, I feel like sometimes as parents we people want to give their child the message that you can't make you can't yeah. sin you can't make mistakes but when they do they don't know what they're supposed to do exactly. to come back and so the possibility for them coming back goes down because then they're thinking, well, I'm stained now. I've, yeah, I, that's it. Too far right? gone. But yeah. if we were to be a bit more, if we were to be more acknowledging of the human condition, right? Yeah. And say, well, look, you know what? I know you made that mistake or if you made that mistake, you know, you don't need to cover it up. You just need to deal with it now. And make yeah? it right. Make it right. With so my life. son, for example, yeah. if I think he fell asleep without praying Isha, yeah? In the morning, I could sort of have a go at him and say, and make him feel really rubbish about it. Mm. Or I could say to him, look, you really need to take responsibility for your Isha. You know, don't, you need to stay up until you've until prayed it. Time, yeah. But if you fell asleep 
just pray the isha, okay? And do istighfar. Do you see? Just like, make it right. Just make it right. Make it right. Make it right. And then move on and, and just move keep your on. isha for the future, yeah? But you know, that comes also, I feel like what I was saying, what we were saying before, allowing them to know that we make mistakes too and allowing right, them to right, right. witness, not just for us to sin, but to actually acknowledge, oh my God, I can't believe I, I did this today. This happened today. And I know I shouldn't have done that. You know, I, I know yeah. I probably shouldn't have shout, snapped at the woman in the, in the supermarket line, but oh, but yeah. you know, I feel bad about it now. And if I saw her again, I might apologize. And do you see what I mean? Like yeah. uh, modeling it. Yeah. Like you yeah, yeah. make mistakes, we make mistakes too. Let them see us make mistakes. And this is how we fix it. Yeah. You know? And we we sin. We all make mistakes, but our Lord is the most merciful and He's just yeah. waiting for us to come back to Him. The way back is always there. It's always there. And, it's always and open. What I'm thinking is as long as the children are co- connected with Allah. As long as they're like we as mothers keep a lot in their mind and yeah. in their life. Yeah. Like you said, eventually life will force them to reconnect with him because yeah. there's no other way no other of way. living this life, right? Yeah. Successfully. I agree. Um so anyway, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect our children and Allahumma Ameen. There was a wonderful piece of advice. I, I could talk to you forever, you know, <laughs> subhanAllah, but you know, obviously we we should come to a close um uh, there was a wonderful piece of advice you gave me i asked you in ramadan about a situation that i had witnessed um i was asking you about teenagers mm. and you've created a space for teenagers haven't you for uh, kind of <laughs> yeah yeah we where we have it's it's something that i've been wanting to do is called honestly mm-hmm. me honestly me actually is interesting because they chose the girls that i was um consulting at the time they chose that title and as a space for them to be able to freely be themselves and to come as they are and to talk about things that matter to them as young muslim girls um and so we had an event uh, well we're not yeah we had an event in uh before ramadan and it was the honestly me ramadan edition where they could just come and share the highs and lows of teen ramadaning Mm-hmm. And it was subhanAllah, as a mother, uh, as a mother, it was wonderful to kind of see how I could possibly be showing up <laughs> and in, in and amongst the, the, my teens lives and their struggles with Ramadan and their highs with Ramadan. Um, but it was just really to create a safe space because we, it's, I think safe spaces are needed we need more safe spaces spaces where we can actually just say hey this is really this is what's going on with me and just to be not even necessarily to be fixed for there to be a resolution but just to have a safe space to be able to talk last year I actually ran safe space sessions for sisters where we just had sessions came had a topic everyone felt good good okay good and we left um but i realized that teens they don't have that at all. Like sisters have people they can talk to, but teens generally don't um, because of this. They're scared of judgment. They're scared of haram, 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 haram. Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. So yeah. even when it came to finding a location, every single one of them said it can't be at the masjid because we won't come. Really? We will not come. Subhanallah. That really... And that hit me. That hit me. Because it just shows how much we've distanced our, our, our teenagers, our youth from the masjid. I don't know if you heard the last um, episode of, of uh, or one of the former episodes of Elmfeed podcast where Sheikh Shams al-Duha talked about the distance of the youth from the masjid. Yeah. 
and what you're saying just it just it just correlates it's true so they so wouldn't we, talk they would not come they wouldn't even come if it was at the masjid and and these are nominally practicing yeah. families and, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so Imagine then who, those who aren't so practicing, you know, yeah. how are we going to bring them to the... So for me, it was just a case of, okay, so we're going to just find a nice neutral space, nice and bright, um, comfortable, where we can have this conversation. And that's what we did, alhamdulillah. And it was beautiful. And they're asking me when's the next one. And we haven't set a date. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it just sounds so, so yeah. essential, mashallah. And yeah, so in Ramadan, I asked you something related because I remember you mentioning that there were some girls who actually admitted to you that yeah. they were not fasting in Ramadan. Yeah. And they their pretend. parents didn't they know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were pretending to yeah. fast. Yeah. And so I asked you in Ramadan, you know, if um, if a mother has a teenage son and she suspects that he is bra- he is eating, right, yeah. secretly, yeah. and he's not really fasting, then how would you advise that she approaches it? Um, and... I don't you, remember what I said. To you don't honest, remember, so just... but it, it, it was it was it was great. I wrote it down because it was Good. so yes, powerful, Mashallah. So you said one of the things you said was, um, and I knew that by phoning you, I would get a wise answer, Mashallah, because I think in those type of situations, it's mm. so easy, right, to fly off the handle. Yes, especially when the child is an adult, Islamically an adult now, yes. and especially when you've spent all those years nurturing them they know better yeah so oh, they yes. know about ramadan oh yes they've practiced they know it's just mm. it, it's either a suspicion or a reality that they are not fasting right yeah. um and you said to me um well the first advice you'd give is to stay calm yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that's essential yes um and to kind of extract yourself from the situation yeah for a while and I love that because we need to think we need time to think because mm. the damage that could be done in that situation irreversible could be so huge that the the problem that you you think you have would pale into insignificance right yeah. if if you were to handle the situation in the wrong way yeah. and you said to so extract yourself and then you said um, come back to the situation with curiosity mm. And an example you gave was like asking the child, asking your child, you know, there's a situation where, you know, a parent has a problem with their child who's not fasting. It seems like they're finding it too hard or whatever. Um, right. What Do you have any friends like that? Like, would you, what advice would you give mm. a parent like that? Yeah. In that situation? Mm. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. And then you said, "What you'd ask them? What advice would you give the teen mm. who's going through that?" Mm. So instead of this kind of accusing accusation type scenario where yeah. that's it, it's all over, you know, mm. and and that kind of thing, you're you were advising yeah. to approach it in that way. And I, and I advised that way because I'd used that method with one of my teens when they had done something they shouldn't have be doing as an mm. adult as an islamic adult and yes i could have flown off the handle yeah my nigerian self wanted to fly off the handle. but i realized one that... day you have to come back and we want to talk about <laughs> talk about nigerian, nigerian culture <laughs> and yeah um just and i just knew that i wanted to con- the, what's the purpose here is it for me to 
discipline them? Is it for me to put them down? Is it for me to tell them how bad they were? Or is it for me to actually create a connection so that this does not repeat itself so that we can ensure that this that we can work towards this not repeating itself right Mm -hmm. and how can i how can i how can i appear how can i show up in a way that will foster that connection that will allow us to talk in a way that we can ensure that we can work towards it not repeating itself right so i knew that if i was thrown at flying off the handle what's going to happen war's going to go up and there's going to be no communication they're not going to tell me anything i'm just going to be ranting and raving and they're probably just going to do the same thing but better in secret because mm. that's generally what happens right this counter kids kids just get better at mm. hiding it right they will right. just get rid of all evidence and just get really good but if the, if that's what you want carry on you know but often that's not what we want what we want is to be able to talk to, talk to them to help them to understand and so that's why that's why i said you know come from a place of curiosity but also if you kind of separate yourself and make it a third person like it's a story then it's not like confrontational it's not confrontational yeah. we're talking mm. about someone else's issues which is actually your issue but we're talking about it from a third person um like a a, a a distance so it doesn't feel so threatening so even the child and it makes you think right it would make them think about their own situation yeah and and with my teen it did it really did make them think because they they first of all they said you know they explained the reality of what the teen was going through because it was a perspective that the adult hadn't considered oh but and this could have happened and this could have been the reason blah 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 and so what advice would you give to the teen well i'd probably tell them this they're just self-advising you know? mm-hmm. And that's more powerful because that comes from their own realizations from than own you <laughs> lecturing. Yeah. That just goes, right? You know. And the second thing you said was uh, giving them the space to talk and talking from a pos- from an I position rather yeah. than a you position. Yeah. See, this is the NLP. Yeah. The language. The, yeah. The language. Things, right? Language is so <laughs> like so. Instead important. of saying you should have known better, you this, you that, you were saying you know you should say I. I care about you yes. and I'm worried about this yes. and, and I'd I like care to about know what's really going on. Yeah. I want to help you. Yes. Right. See, and in that yeah. thing, there's no, where's my defense mechanism coming yeah, from? Yeah. Like there's no defense mechanism because you're not shooting at me. You're actually just placing it on yourself. And now I'm more open to being like, okay, so this is what's going on. Right. Yeah. And and my mom this, loves me. My mom cares. Right. And this is the same for, I mean, yes, for children, but with any kind of conflict, any kind of wanting to gain agreement or gain on the level filled with someone, just using the iframe rather than the you, because yeah. you is uh, is like you're accusing them, and I is more like you're you're keeping it close to yourself rather than like shooting at them. So that was yes, I and it's more honest in a way as well because yeah. you're you're sharing with them how it's affecting how this situation. Yeah. Is and what you're for feeling, you, what you're right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that allows that again vulnerability. Lainka, I could, we could just carry on, and I <laughs> we will invite you back, inshallah. I hope, uh, I'd love you know, because I'd love to explore some other things with you. But Jazakallah Khairan yeah. for joining me. Yeah, I'm sure that good you listeners and uh, viewers that you will agree with me that it's been a, a really interesting conversation, really beneficial. Um, please do subscribe to the Ilm Feed podcast. Please share it and, and tell your friends about it. Tell other sisters about it because, you know, how many times are you going to find uh, a, a conversation as honest as this, you know, on, on the internet? It's not not so easy to find. So please do share it. 
tell people about uh, the podcast on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, inshallah, I will say thank you to uh, Layinka. Thank you. khairan for all your pearls of wisdom. And assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.